Ephesians chapter 1, we'll read two verses as our, as our text for the message today. Verse 13 and 14. Let's read together, shall we? In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, Lord, we thank you so much for your presence. And I ask now that you will open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you that you draw them to a place of repentance. I pray, oh Lord, that uh, especially for our sons and daughters that have walked away from you. I pray that you will send the Holy Spirit after them and draw them back to the side of the Savior so that not one of them is lost. Lord, I continue to pray for our nation, for healing to come, for truth to win the day. And Lord, right now with all of the tension that is happening in the Middle East, we, we join in agreement with your word and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, O oh Lord, that hostilities will cease. We pray protection upon your people. Lord, there are people on both sides of this conflict that do not want it. There are Jews and Arabs who are trying to live peaceable lives. I pray that you will protect them and that the, uh, the perpetrators of violence oh Lord, that are just intent upon, upon uh, chaos, I pray, oh Lord, that their, their uh, devices will cease and will be turned to naught and that peace will reign in that region. Pray these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. No matter if you identify as Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative, Boomer, millennial, or Generation Z, whatever that means, activist or pacifist, modernist or traditionalist, it's pretty safe to say that most would agree that we are living in difficult times. As I was preparing the message for today, I found myself asking the Holy Spirit if he would help me bring a word of encouragement and hope to those who may be struggling or who may be discouraged or may be feeling overwhelmed as you try to live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. In the two verses that form the text for the message today, the Bible teaches that the moment you place your trust in Jesus as your only hope of salvation and are born again by the Spirit, at that mom moment, you are sealed by the Spirit. 
Now, when you hear the word seal, there are all kinds of definitions and all kinds of pictures that can come to mind, right? If you're a young boy or girl and I say the word seal, you might think of a water animal that you see in the zoo or the circus. You know, one that goes in and out of the water, eats fish, and performs tricks like balancing a ball on its nose. If you're a housewife and I say the word seal, you might think of that rubber ring that's on the lid of a jar that makes it difficult to open, but it keeps the vegetables on the inside from spoiling. If you're an automobile mechanic and I say the word seal, you might think of a gasket that keeps the oil from leaking out of the transmission. If you're a notary or a lawyer and I say the word seal, you might think of something that is affixed to a document, something that is embossed into the paper or stamped on it or in older times is imprinted into wax that has been dripped on it. This kind of seal means that it is a legitimate, bona fide document. It's this last meaning, the legal meaning of the word seal that is used here in verse 13 of our text when it says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The two verses that we read at the beginning of the message are actually the end of a section that begins in verse 13. And in the original language, verses 3 through 14 are actually one long sentence. For all of you English teachers that uh, fuss about students doing run-on sentences, well, that's, (laughs) that's what you've got in verses 3 through 14. In this sentence, there are two words that express a dominant recurring theme. It's the words, in Christ or in Him. This phrase, in Christ or in him, or some variation of that phrase, occurs some 164 times in the New Testament. 36 of those times are right here in the book of Ephesians. Now, this idea of being in Christ doesn't mean that you are somehow mystically absorbed into his body so that you cease to be yourself. Rather, it's the idea that Jesus has identified with you in the incarnation and you have then identified with him through faith. In that identification, you become so closely connected to Jesus that you are united in one body and all who are part of the household of faith are part of that one body with Jesus as the head. Being part of the body of Christ means that it is he who sets the boundaries and the parameters of life and living. He sets the tone and the direction. He sets the priorities. Your salvation is complete not only because Jesus has become the substitute for you and has paid the penalty for your sin, but then you in turn so completely identify with him that your old nature is crucified with him on the cross. Your new self is raised with him in the resurrection. While you live, it is your body that moves and your mind that thinks and your will that functions, but all of that is completely surrendered to Jesus. While you live, it is Jesus who lives in you, and at the same time, you are in him. 
If you have trusted in Jesus as your only hope of salvation, if your life is surrendered to him, then you are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, then that becomes the key to all of life. See, see people sin because you forget God. And you forget the place where you live. If you truly understand that you are in Christ, then the way you think and the way you behave isn't governed so much by a set of rules to keep as it is by a relationship you have. If you understand that you are in Christ, then Christ is your environment. If you understand that you are in Christ, then it becomes very difficult to say, I know I live in Christ, but I'm going to do the opposite of what Christ expects. If you only believe, what's this? If you only believe that Christ is in you, then you are the one that defines your reality. And Christ is about one inch tall. However, once you begin to understand that you are in Christ, then he determines the reality and encompasses all that you are. Being in Christ is another way to talk about the fact that Jesus is Lord. It is Jesus who determines your being. Being in Christ means that you are part of Christ, and that means you should act in accord with who he is. This is the key to holy living. It's not about a list of rules to keep. Rather, it's about living life united with Christ, being in Christ. I had a, uh, in our, our membership class yesterday, I had somebody ask me about, uh, about uh, church discipline and about uh, how I would respond to someone that, uh, that uh, wasn't uh, dressed appropriately. Uh, that's a good way to say it, you know, coming into the house of God. And, you know, that, that it was, in a, and I said, you know, I've discovered in over 37 years of being a lead pastor that I've never had to address that issue. I said, because first of all, my job is not to try to, to uh, be the fashion police. And then my responsibility is to people who are of the household of faith. I can't expect people who are not born again to act like born again people. I can't expect non-Christians to behave like Christians. You know, it's kind of like the psalmist said, why do the heathen rage? Well, the simple answer is because they're heathen. That's what heathen do. You know, so people of the world act like people of the world. I don't have, a, I, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to be over those who are part of the household of faith. And what I've discovered is if I can just get people to understand they are in Christ, and if I can get them connected to Jesus, he's fully capable of convicting them and telling them what they ought to do and ought not to do. And I've discovered in 37 plus years of being a lead pastor that once I get people connected to Jesus, most of that stuff just takes care of itself. See, you don't go to certain places not because the rules say stay out, but because Jesus isn't there. You don't say certain things not because there's a prohibition against that kind of speech, but you don't say it because Jesus doesn't say that. 
You break off certain alliances because Jesus isn't linked with that person or with that enterprise. You change direction because Jesus isn't going that way. He's going this way. Am I doing all right? Everybody okay? Being in Christ has some incredible benefits. It's right here in Ephesians chapter 1. According to verse 7, because you are in Christ, you have redemption and forgiveness, the release from sin. According to verse 11, because you are in Christ, you have an eternal inheritance. And I want to tell you that inheritance is more than heaven in the hereafter, but it's a life lived to the praise of his glory in the here and now. And this brings me now to the focus of the message for today. Verses 13 and 14 say that one of the benefits of being in Christ is that you are now sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And when I talk about being sealed by the Spirit, there are three things I want you to see today. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to encourage somebody today in your walk with the Lord. I just want you to leave this place going, wow, that's good news for me today. First of all, when you are sealed by the Spirit, it means authenticity. The seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life is the certifying mark that you are the genuine article. The Holy Spirit is the seal of approval that you are a true follower of Jesus. Not not too long ago, I had occasion to purchase some new software for my computer. After I loaded the program in, I, I clicked the little icon to start using it. But before the program would open, there was a notice that popped up on my screen asking for the authentication code. And I had to search and scrounge. And finally, on the package, I saw there was this long series of numbers and letters. And I had to enter that in on a, on a form. That authentication code let the manufacturer and the publisher of the program know that I had actually purchased the program and that this wasn't some bootleg copy, but it was the genuine article. Some time ago, I read about a discovery that was made of a rare painting by one of the master artists. No one knew this painting was in existence until it was uncovered in somebody's attic. Well, before the art world was ready to acknowledge this painting as being a masterwork created by this artist, they called in a team of experts to run some tests. So they carefully and closely examined the brush strokes and found them to be consistent with the way the master had painted. They examined the paint that was used, and they found it to be the same kind of paint the master used in other paintings, and it was from the same era as when the master painted They tested the canvas and found it to be of an age that dated back to when the master was alive and painting. They examined the signature in the corner of the painting and found it to be consistent with the signatures on other masterpieces this artist had created. Test after test after test was run until finally these this team of experts came to the conclusion that the master artist had indeed painted this picture. The picture was authenticated, and it then commanded a high price when it was sold at auction. 
Now watch this. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. He continues that theme in verses 15 and 17 of that chapter. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 4 and 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In addition, 1 John 4, 13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. What all of this is saying is that the moment you surrendered your life to Jesus, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who drew you to the Savior in the first place. It was the Holy Spirit who revealed your need for a Savior. It was the Holy Spirit who convinced you that Jesus was the only hope for your salvation. It was the Holy Spirit who convicted you of your sin and brought you to the place of repentance. It was the Holy Spirit who activated your faith and applied the work of Christ's redemption to your life. And once you responded to the work of the Holy Spirit and you prayed for forgiveness and you repented of your sin and you surrendered your life to Jesus, at that moment, you were born again of the Spirit. You were sealed by the Spirit as a sign that you are truly and genuinely a new creation. You're a child of the King. The Holy Spirit, alive and active in your life, is the seal that you are a genuine follower of Jesus. You've been examined. You've been scrutinized. The experts have rendered their opinion. The Holy Spirit on your life is proof that you are authentic. Now, let me tell you what that means. Every time the critic tries to accuse and say you're just a hypocrite, just going through the motions, that you're not the real deal, well, the seal of the Holy Spirit is what certifies you belong to Jesus. Every time the enemy of your soul tries to destroy, the Father looks over and sees the seal of authentication, and there's no question that he's going to step in and preserve that which is his own. Every time the skeptic tries to make you doubt your salvation, you can point to the seal of the Holy Spirit on your life as a reminder that your salvation is the real deal. <laughs> not only did the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to you, not only did the Holy Spirit draw you to the Savior, not only did the Holy Spirit convict you of your sin, but it is also the Holy Spirit who is present to keep you and to preserve you and to certify you as a genuine follower of Jesus. I want to tell you, when you present yourself in the eternal presence of God, when you come before the throne of God, he's going to look over and what he's going to see is stamped upon your spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit, and it'll gain you entrance into his eternal presence. Is anybody feeling encouraged yet? Well, I got more. Because not only does the seal of the Holy Spirit mean authenticity, it also means identity. Identity. The church to which this letter was addressed was located in the city of Ephesus. 
One of the things for which Ephesus was known during this time was its lumber, its timber. Big trees would be cut down and taken to the seaport and shipped to other locations to be used as construction material. When those trees were cut down, the owner or the person who had purchased those would put his seal upon the base of it. And when that tree arrived at the new port, along with logs from every other logging company, that seal would show which logs belonged to him, identified him as the owner. Many years ago, my dad, as you know, most of you know my dad was a pastor all of my life, but my dad pastored real small churches and in addition to pastoring the church, he had to have some way to eat <laughs> and feed his family. So he had side jobs that he, that he did. And, and even before he was a pastor, my dad was working as the foreman on a cattle ranch. Well, when new calves were born and those calves reached a certain age, they would round them up, put them in a pen, and then one by one they would lead them through this chute They would trap them in the chute, and they would brand them with a mark that identified them as belonging to that particular ranch. Then anytime those cows were out in the pasture, out on the range, even if they were mixed in with cattle from other ranches, the brand would identify them. I want to tell you that's what the seal of the Holy Spirit is upon your life. He identifies you as belonging to Jesus. I'm talking about the spirit that is in you as a born-again child of God. I'm talking about the new life of the spirit that is yours now that you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I'm talking about the new creation you have become as a result of spiritual birth that has taken place through faith in Jesus. That's what it means in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal... The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. The seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life means that you are no longer your own, but you now belong to Jesus. That's why 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, if you are no longer your own, that means you're not in charge of your life. But the Lord is now in charge of your life. You're no longer in control. He's in control. You no longer make the decisions. He makes the decisions. It's not your will, it's his will. And that means you have a responsibility to listen to the Spirit and to live by the Spirit and to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. When you've been sealed by the Spirit, that means you bear the identifying marks of a person who belongs to Jesus. I want to tell you, when you're sealed by the Spirit, you're going to stand out in a crowd. And you won't be standing out in the crowd because you dress funny or because you, you, know, you, you, you walk different. No, 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 no. When you're sealed by the Spirit, it will be obvious because your life will bear spiritual fruit. What is that fruit? Well, it's love and joy and peace and patience. Help me, Jesus. And kindness and goodness 
and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Once you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to live, to be happy living the same way you used to live. See, when, you, when you've been sealed by the Spirit, then you try to live in a manner that is contrary to the will and the purposes of God. The Holy Spirit's going to come along and prod you. And He's going to convict you. And He's going to make you uncomfortable. And He's going to make you restless. Has anybody ever had that happen? You know, you try to do this and well, I, I just want to act this way. And the Holy Spirit said, no. And the longer you do it, the, it's, what, it's what the Lord said to the Apostle Paul, lying flat of his back in the dust on the road to Damascus. He said, it's hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it, buddy? <laughs> Being sealed by the Spirit means you're identified as belonging to the Savior. It means you now have a responsibility to live like you are His. At the same time, being identified as belonging to him means that he has a responsibility for you. Let me ask you, have you ever paid a lot for something, maybe too much for something? You know, you know, maybe a car or, or, or your house or, or a particularly valuable tool. Have you ever paid a lot of money for something? One thing I've discovered, when I was, when I was first driving, when I was in college, after I was starting to drive and then finally went to college, my first car was a car that my dad had owned and he gave to me so, because I was commuting back and forth to school, needed some wheels, and it was a 1970 four-door, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you, <laughs> Ford Torino. Some of you will remember a Ford Torino. That was my first car. And I hadn't had it long before, you know, we didn't have power seats in those days. We didn't know what that was. Power seat was what you did with your hand and your arm when you pushed it up and back, you know. And, and so it wasn't too long before the, 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 the seat release, you know, it was underneath the seat and you had to pull it and push back all of a sudden that thing broke and so it was in one position you couldn't move it forward you couldn't move it back so if you weren't my height you were out of luck for driving that thing you know it just wouldn't work and the we didn't have power windows you know it, power was this some of you young people are looking at me like boy he is really old I have no idea what he's talking about and so it wasn't too long before the window crank busted and uh, I just had, the, had the, the, the old plastic got brittle and broke, you know, and I, and I just had the screw sticking out, and I had to grab hold of that and turn it, and, you know. And I got to tell you, that was gifted to me. I didn't look a gift horse in the mouth. I was thankful that I didn't have to walk the, you know, the 20 miles one way. But I'll also be honest with you to tell you that I didn't take very good care of it. I mean, it's just given to me. You know, I didn't take very good care of that. Ah, but there came a day when Jitney, that's what I called it, when Jitney wouldn't go anymore. Jitney gave up the ghost. And I had some money and had gotten a hold of, and I went down and bought a brand new, 
first mistake, but I did it anyway. I didn't know any better. I, you know, I bought a brand new emerald green with a white Landau top. I babied that car. Oh, I babied that car. Every, you know, every other day I was out there washing and waxing it and taking care of it, making sure, you know. You know why? Because I paid for that. I worked for that. I discovered that the more I pay for something, the better care I take of it. I'm going somewhere with this. Have you ever stopped long enough to think about what the Lord has invested in you? The prophet declared in Nahum 1 and 7 that the Lord knows those who take refuge in him. The apostle Paul wrote to his son in the Lord, the young Timothy, and said in 2 Timothy 2 and 19, the Lord knows those who are his. The seal of the Holy Spirit that has been placed upon your life is an identifying mark that the Lord has made a tremendous investment in you. He has bought you with the precious blood of his only begotten son. He has too much invested in you not to take care of you. Let me tell you about God's commitment to take care of you. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You think about it. If God didn't hold back the most precious thing to him, his only begotten son, if God didn't spare his only son, then there's nothing else that means nearly as much to him as Jesus. If he didn't go back on his promise to send his son, then he's not going to go back on any other promise. I want to tell you, if he paid for your redemption with the blood of his only son, then he's surely going to take care of that for which he has paid such a high price. (laughs) Oh, think about it. If he gave his only son to save you, surely he's going to help you when you're in trouble. If he gave his only son to save you, surely he's going to heal your body when you're sick. Oh, if he gave... If he gave his only son to save you, surely he's going to supply all your need according to his riches in glory. If he gave his only son to save you, surely he's going to lift you up when you're discouraged. Surely he's going to give you direction when you're confused. Surely he's going to comfort you when you're grieving. Surely he's going to strengthen you when you're weak. Surely he's going to defend you when you're being attacked. Surely he's going to deliver you from temptation. Surely he's going to see to it that the good work he has begun in you is brought to completion. Oh, if he gave his only son to save you surely he's going to keep you from stumbling and he's going to enable you to stand in the presence of his glory without blame with great joy oh praise be to God he who gave his only son for you won't hold back anything else Every promise he'll keep, every prayer he'll answer, every need he'll supply. He has a responsibility toward you because of the investment he has made in you as evidenced by the identifying seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life. I got to hurry on because I'm already out of time. Being sealed by the Spirit means authenticity. It means identity. Last one, it means surety. 
Verse 14 says, the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The Spirit is given as a pledge. Some translations say the Spirit is given as earnest. Another translation says the Spirit is given as a deposit. It indicates a down payment that guarantees complete payment. The Amplified Bible says that Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, the first fruit, the pledge and foretaste, the down payment on our heritage. The message paraphrases this verse by saying, this signet from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. You know, when, I, when, when Betsy and I bought our house, when we signed the contract to buy it, we placed money as earnest money. It was a down payment. It said, we're serious about this. We're committed to this. As long as it met certain criteria, we're, we're, we're buying this house. And if we go back on that, we're going to lose our deposit. I want to tell you the Holy Spirit is God's earnest money in your life. It's God's first installment on your salvation. It's the guarantee that the full future inheritance will be delivered. William Barclay said, it is as if God had given us enough to whet our appetites for more. And enough to make us certain that someday he will give us all. How can you know you're going to inherit eternal life? You are in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that abundant life is going to become eternal life. How can you know that you're going to see your loved ones who have died in the Lord? You are in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that the wonderful times you've known with your family here on earth pale in comparison with the glad reunion day that is yet to come. How can you know you'll be able to enjoy the splendors of heaven? You are in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him, but it has been revealed to us by the Spirit. How can you know the promise of God will be fulfilled? Well, you are in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment guarantee that not one word will fall to the ground, but every promise in him is yes and amen. How can you know there is more and better that is yet to come? You are in Christ. The Holy Spirit has sealed your life. The seal of the Holy Spirit is the down payment guarantee that there is so much more that is yet to come. That's why the blind hymn writer Fanny Crosby would sing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. 
Let me ask you today, do you have that blessed assurance? Are you in Christ? That's a reason to celebrate today. That's a reason to rejoice. Stand with me, please. I've, I've preached way past my time. But it was worth it to receive all these people into membership to take the extra. What, don't you think? I, I just want you to be encouraged today. And then I can't let this opportunity go by without asking, are you in Christ? And if you are not in Christ, would you like to be in Christ? You don't need a sign. You don't need a feeling. All you need is just to believe the Word of God. You just need to make up your mind, I'm turning away from my old path and I'm turning toward God and toward His path. I'm going to surrender my life to the control of Jesus. Bow with me, please. Lord Jesus, in the quietness of this moment now, I want to pray for that one that is just saying in their heart, they're thinking it in their mind, today I want to surrender to Jesus. Today, I want to stop going my way and I want to go the Jesus way. Forgive me of my sin. Take charge of my life. Cleanse me from the inside out. Make me part of your forever family. I do now receive Jesus. I do now surrender my life to Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer, forgiving my sin. Amen.